Welcome back to the Whip Around, our weekly women's basketball show on Swish Appeal, hosted by myself, Sabrina Merchant. Every episode, I'll be giving you a rundown of the biggest news in the world of women's basketball, along with a dive into one particular topic. I could think of no better place to start this week than with the announcement of the 2022 All-Star Starters, highlighted by the presence of Sylvia Fowles and Sue Bird in each of their final seasons in the WNBA. As expected, Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart were also the co-captains. I would have loved Stewie and Sue Bird to be captains on the same team, but hey, can't get them all. <laughs> the rest of the All-Star starters were not much of a surprise. Candace Parker, Jonquil Jones, Neko Gumake, all deserving selections in the front court. And we have a trio of first-time All-Stars in Sabrina Ionescu, Kelsey Plum, and Jackie Young in the backcourt. The announcement of the reserves will be taking place today, June 28th, when this episode drops, and we'll be having a mock draft of these all-star lineups later in the week on Swish Appeal, so make sure to stay tuned for that. One big surprise, for my opinion, in terms of the all-star starters was the absence of Skylar Diggins-Smith. Not to say that Skylar has a clear-cut case over any of the other three backcourt starters other than Sue Bird that were selected. But to see Skylar Diggins rank 14th on the player vote was a real shock to the system, especially since she finished third and fourth in the media and fan votes. And to think that the players in the WNBA see 13 better guards than Skylar Diggins-Smith doesn't really add up with her level of performance. But while the majority of players got to hide behind the veil of anonymity in terms of their votes for all-star starters, there was one player this week who very publicly decided that they didn't want to be Skylar Diggins-Smith's teammate, and that was Tina Charles, who agreed to a contract divorce with the Phoenix Mercury. It's been just one compounding problem after another for the Mercury this season, obviously beginning with the wrongful detainment of Brittany Griner in Russia, but the basketball has not been pretty, especially with Tina Charles in the lineup. And I don't think that the Mercury are necessarily better without Tina Charles, but the fit of their pieces definitely makes a lot more sense, especially because this team is basically rolling out the same starting group that they had in the 2020 bubble when Beachy was unavailable for the second half of the season. I'm not trying to read too much into wins over the Dallas Wings without Alicia Gray and the Indiana Fever, but... The vibes seem a little bit different in Phoenix right now, and the last few years of Tina Charles' career are going to be a very interesting addendum to what has been a Hall of Fame-worthy career. She was a member of the W25, one of the most outstanding players in the league's history, been on multiple Olympic teams. She's obviously still angling for a ring with the reports that she'll be joining the Seattle Storm for the remainder of the season. I happen to think that's a decent fit considering how little bench scoring Seattle still gets despite all of their offseason machinations. But it's just a disappointing end to what was a really nice story of Tina Charles taking a discount to join Phoenix and try to join the super team. And Lord, it is hard to create super teams no matter what league you're in. And Phoenix learned that in a very difficult way. 
it is very strange that Tina Charles, who has been an all-star in every single WNBA season that the league has held a game when she's been playing, will probably not be an all-star this year for the very first time. But it's been that kind of year for her. It's been that kind of year for the Mercury. And the Storm had better hope that they have a culture that is more able to bring in a player of Charles's talent when they will definitely not be able to give her the shots and minutes that she has grown accustomed to in her career. But on the subject of the Storm, I've had a really hard time figuring out who the WNBA's leading contenders are this season. Coming into the year, I was of the belief that as long as Brianna Stewart existed and was healthy, Seattle was the team to beat. But the Aces and the Sun really separated themselves from the rest of the pack for the first six weeks or so, both in terms of their record and in terms of their net ratings. They have since come down to earth quite a bit to the point where Chicago had the second best record and James Wade was named the second coach of the All-Star game alongside Becky Hammond. But I'm not even sure that we can set the bar at simply three contenders, you know, with Chicago, Las Vegas, and Connecticut. I think Seattle belongs in that discussion. I think Washington with Elena Deladon also belongs in that discussion. But I really wanted to spend some time this week talking about Chicago because they are the defending champions. The Sky had just a remarkable week, starting with that 28-point comeback against the Las Vegas Aces. We've got Candace Parker's third triple-double of her WNBA career coming in her first game as a road player in Los Angeles against the Sparks. And then we had that Courtney Vandersloot game winner against Minnesota at the buzzer, a game that probably didn't need to be that close, but you're just getting these really strong, we can win any kind of game vibes from the Chicago sky, which I think is a foundation of them having won a championship a year ago. But I really wanted to spend some time digging more into what makes the sky good, how much we should take their threat of a repeat seriously, and what sort of obstacles could still get in their way you know, from being the first team to repeat in the WNBA since 2002. So I had the pleasure of bringing on Annie Costable this week. She is the Sky Beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. I don't think anybody in the world knows the Sky better than Annie does, other than the people in the franchise themselves. So I think you're really going to enjoy this discussion with Annie about Chicago. All right. I'm so excited to be joined by Annie Costable of the Chicago Sun-Times, one of my favorite WNBA beat reporters in the country. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Wow. The country. I'm like, that can't be true, but thank you. I mean, there's, there's 12 teams, you know, so. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, that puts it in perspective. It's like, <laughs> eh, you're doing a good job, but out of like 12 beat reporters. So is it I really kid. I kid. I, uh, I would not know what to do for my Chicago sky coverage were it not for your work. So. Um, well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's so kind. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about the sky this week because I have been sort of operating on this assumption for the first part of the season that the aces in the sun are just better than everybody else in the league. And sometime over like the past 10 days or so, that uh, notion has kind of been challenged a little bit. And part of it was the sky, obviously coming back from 28 down against the aces a week ago and just doing some very impressive things of late. Mm. And I'm just curious, generally speaking, like the sky are obviously the defending champions, but they only went 16 and 16 a year ago. Is there just like a different vibe or like confidence around the team this year because they carry that defending champion status or are they just better than last year? Like what, what's the deal there? I think it's a combination of things and one of them definitely is that they are a more rounded team this year, or I guess more rounded isn't necessarily a good way to put it. I think a better way to put it is that 
they're not dealing with injuries. So you're able to see their full capabilities earlier in the season. So it appears that they're more well-rounded when really this is, this is the team that they could have been, you know, for the majority of last season, but we, we didn't get to see it. Fans didn't get to see it because they dealt with injury early to Candace Parker and Allie Quigley. And also this addition of not only Emma Miesemann, but Rebecca Garner and Julie Alamond, like James free agency moves. I think we're not talking about it yet, but we're going to be very soon have earned him executive of the year or, or to be in that conversation. Absolutely. GM of the year, excuse me. So I just think that the, the moves he made, they complement the greatness that was already on the team. And that's not to knock Stephanie Dolson or Diamond DeShields by any means. Those are two excellent players. But when you're talking about replacing two excellent players, I think it's very rare that you are able to upgrade. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think these two are upgrades is one, because Rebecca Gardner is a great player who's comfortable coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Diamond DeShields is a great player and wants to be a starter, knows she deserves to be a starter, wasn't really comfortable in the role that she was asked to play in order to win a championship. She did it, but she wasn't happy necessarily doing it. And she mm-hmm. said that, you know, on the record multiple times in different yep. interviews. And um, Stephanie Dolson incredible player, incredible in the pick and roll with Slew and Allie, but she was not the same shooter that Emma is. And the way that Emma spaces the floor is different than, than Stephanie Dolson. So that too is a substantial upgrade. So I think that this is a team who's confident off of their championship for sure but also is, is a bit of a, uh, a better team because one, they're not dealing with injury and two, these two pieces plus Julie Alamond. So three, um, you know, did make them just a, you know, just a level better, I guess you could say. Yeah. I mean, you look at this eight player rotation for Chicago with their starters plus Alamond, um, Gardner, and then Azari Stevens off the bench. I mean, I, I struggle to think of eight players in the league who fit better than that. First of all, just in terms of all of those complementary skill sets and then have that level of talent too. Like you mentioned diamond to shields, not wanting to come off the bench and being very vocal about that. I look at a player like Azari Stevens, who was starting last year for good chunks of that title run and who is incredibly talented and she's coming off the bench this year. Um, has she just sort of settled into that role? Like, has there been any friction about that or she's cool just being behind Emma and Candace and often closing games when she gets the chance to as well? So I think what's really been cool just on a personal level to see about Azure is she's very in tune. Like she's very emotionally mature and strong like her emotional strength just Mm -hmm. comes across very strong in person on social media etc like if you're someone who's working on your emotional maturity I think you could see when someone else is too and she's always sharing positive writing she's always uh talking about you know mental health she's always just she's just 
advanced in that area. And so I think that she sees the value in everybody's role. And that's not a facade. Like that's not phony. She's not, you know, upset by that by any means. I think she, she knows how good she is regardless of whether she's in the starting five or, you know, first player off the bench. And, and I don't think that that's, you know, um, yeah, a, a, a fake kind of outlook she's, she's taking to it. I think she's, she very much, yeah, sees not only her value, but like I said, the entire team's value. And I think that you, you need players when you have a team this deep who, who genuinely believe that, who genuinely still see their role as valuable, regardless of whether they're playing 30 minutes, 16 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, whatever, whatever the case is, because if you're a coach like in a GM like James Wade and you're trying to get, you know, put these pieces all together, you you need players who are going to buy into that that belief and and you know aren't going to have have an issue with it um, you know, down the road. And I actually brought this question up to James, you know, because we all we've also seen Dana Evans role fluctuate a little bit, you know, before Julie Alamon got to town, Dana was playing more minutes. And I just asked James, I'm like, are you concerned at all with like egos getting in the way? Because ego is a, is a part of being successful as a professional athlete. And he, he just said, he was like, you know, um, obviously egos come into play. They come into play all the time, but then players are able to check their egos or the team is able to communicate about that. So it's not about never have it players never having an issue I think it's about uh are they a team that can yeah that can communicate and then get to a a place where again everyone sees the value in their role and so going back to your original question about Azrae I think she she definitely sees the value in in her role and you know is able to execute well because of that yeah, I think it's really cool how she's expanded her perimeter game a lot this year. Like she's shooting so well from three. And yeah. that to me is just so interesting because it allows her to play theoretically alongside both of Candace and Emma should the sky ever need to put her in that situation, which I realized was the case at the beginning of the year before Ka got back from overseas. Um, but yeah, her game is just one of my absolute favorites in the league. And um, I think that to me is one of the, I don't know, one of like the residual effects of winning a championship. It's so much easier to ask for buy-in from your players when they've already done it once before and know the type of sacrifice it takes. Like I'm just thinking about, I don't know, Phoenix, for example, where clearly like the egos have not quite meshed this year. And that comes from a situation where most of the players on that team have not won a championship before. And it's harder to ask for that level of sacrifice when you haven't seen the end game. Um, So I I think maybe that's just from a distance. Like I think this guy had benefited from having a successful blueprint to point to in terms of like, everyone being able to get on the same page and that's allowed them to, you know, just ask for very different things from everybody else this year. Like the Dana Evans part of it, I, I hadn't even considered like she's, she's not even playing some games now with Julie being the backup point guard. Right. Um, she's played every game, but her minutes have, you know, gone down okay. from, from uh, close to 16 minutes a game to, you know, less than 10. Now she's played in, in certain games. So she has gotten into every game, but it's just minimal. And, the thing that's interesting to me about that, about the buy-in is the amount of time it took James to see success it, like in his system 
from these players, like to get the buy-in, you know, he, mm-hmm. he joined this guy in 2019 was coach of the year that year. And then two years later wins a championship. And I know the WNBA is small and his experience with different coaches or different players was, was already there. Um, you know, he had knowledge of these different players, new, new different players, but um, just actually getting players to buy in to this, this sacrificial uh, environment, family mm-hmm. first environment, which is so cliche, right? Like we hear that all the time. Yeah. Like we're family, like we support each other, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, no, but you guys are competitors. So mm-hmm. there's, is there t- like, and they're not going to necessarily tell us about the tension, mm-hmm. but this just practice post game when things go sideways and you're right there with the team this year, that's the difference. It doesn't seem like there's any backs turned. Okay. We're, we're over this moment right now. And it just doesn't seem like there's any of that. Whereas last year, I think there was some, some energy that, um, you know, what was, was there was some challenges between egos amongst the team for sure. Especially towards the end of the regular season, I think. That's interesting. I, I hadn't really considered that um, as much as I'd love to dig into the 2021 sky even further because I, I'm fascinated by whatever ego challenges existed then. Um, maybe another time. But yeah, uh, I I mean, this this team is just super duper talented, right? Like we've got Sloot and Quigley and Ka and Candace and Emma. And like, I haven't even asked you about the starters yet because I'm so interested in just their bench pieces right now. And that just yeah. the level of depth that we're working with here. Candace obviously named an all-star starter last week. Uh, I assume you think Sloot's going to make that team? Yeah, and it's it's weird. I was talking to James K about this today because when you're covering a, just a genuinely good team, mm-hmm. it it feels a little weird when you're t- like talking about how good they are because you're kind of questioning. You're like, okay, am I am I che- am I cheerleading here yeah. or <laughs> are you genuinely just talking about how good they are? And so that's like talking about Sloot deserving to be an all star. I think is is just clear, you know, right. <laughs> what she's doing, what she's capable of. And her not being voted a starter is a little confusing to a lot of people. And so, yeah, I think, I think the consensus, at least within the sky organization is that she'll be, she'll be joining Candace as an all-star. And, and there's also belief that, you know, Khalil will be an all-star as well and potentially other players. I don't know if you saw James's tweet when he was named a coach and he said, you know, he, th- he was said how he was excited for the opportunity mm-hmm. with his staff and players, plural. And right. like at this point, it's only Candace. It's so only I, Candace. I, you know, I saw him at practice and I was like, Hey, is this your assumption that other players will be voted? And he's like, yeah, I would be shocked if, you know, other players weren't selected for the all-star game. So you know, we'll see. Obviously, that's voted on by the 12 WNBA coaches and, and coaches can't vote for their own players. So we'll see. But I think the the, the league's coaches are also very aware of Courtney Vandersloot's skill and, and have quite frankly called her the top point guard in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple coaches have before playing the sky right. this year. So I think that it's safe to assume that they'll be voting for her. Yeah, it's it's really impressive to me how her and Candace have really catapulted themselves from that finals run to just achieve that level again throughout the course of the regular season, like especially because they're not on that 
necessarily that part of the age curve that you would expect them to continue that same level of play. But yeah, I, I would be very surprised if Sloop and Emma were not all-stars, but copper is a different question to me. I think one of the interesting things about yeah. this guy is that they've been so good, even though Ka hasn't been like the same playoff level performer she was. Uh, and part of that is Rebecca Gardner has been outstanding when she's been asked to uh, play in her stead. And I had mentioned this to you ahead of time that like, I don't really have any questions to ask about Rebecca Gardner. I'm just fascinated by like the existence of Rebecca Gardner. Because, <laughs> um, like we were in college at the same time and now she's a rookie in the WNBA. And that's just fascinating to me. Um, like I remember being excited about Crystal Bradford joining the sky during training camp. And then like all of a sudden she was hurt and in comes Rebecca Gardner and like, I have a hard time picturing the sky without her this year now, which is crazy to think how quickly this has all come together. But I guess, what is it about her that just has like endeared herself to Chicago and like made her such an important part of this team? So this is another reason why I think James needs to be in the conversation for executive of the year is because of his ability to find these, a player like Rebecca, who who was well-known overseas for sure. And well-known amongst the players in the WNBA. Like if someone randomly in a press conference last year would have been like, Hey, I've seen this Rebecca Gardner overseas. What are your thoughts? Like people would have had something to say because they played against her for 10 years overseas. So she was known within the, the tight knit community of, of players and coaches, but for James to go to a couple games and see how well she would fit with his team and, and obviously see something that for 10 years, other coaches, GMs didn't, didn't want to, however you want to call it, take, take this offer a contract to her, take a risk gamble. However you want to phrase it doesn't happen. I think he's, he, he's doing something that, you know, is pretty unique here, bringing Rebecca over and, and and trading for Julie. Like he's, I just think these, again, these moves that he made this off season, Mm -hmm. um, really were the best in the league. I, I I would say, or, or top in the league. And so when you're looking specifically at Rebecca, she, again, one reason she's, she's fitting so well in the system is because she's comfortable playing her role. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, like you said, she graduated or yeah, 10 years ago, 2012 went undrafted and she actually was contemplating retiring after this overseas season this year. And so when James gave her a call, she still didn't know how serious it was until he showed up to her game and continued calling. And obviously you know, she, she realized this was a real opportunity and, and she took it and it obviously led to like a dream of hers being accomplished, but yeah, she was, she was contemplating retiring after her overseas season this year. Yeah. That, that's crazy to think about. Um, and all of the James Wade executive of the year hype, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that they own Phoenix's 2023 first round pick coming into exactly. next year from the right. Shields trade. Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a, like it's a good they, hill to be on right now. And when you're t- coming off a championship, again, to make moves that made an already good team better mm-hmm. is, is, wow. Well, you know, there's not, I don't think there's enough conversation being had around that yeah. yet. I think, I think we're going to see it. Cause you know, you're, I'm starting to see the tweets like for James Wade executive of the year and stuff. And so I'm sure that that's coming, but 
you know, it, it definitely is impressive the way that, um, this team was, was developed and built for this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things that James Wade will have to think about next off season is the future of one Candace Parker, whose contract ends this year and who made some, I don't want to say cryptic comments, but made some like kind of difficult to discern comments about this potentially being her last season in an interview before the start of the year. Uh, to me, Candace talking about the interview with Kristen Ludlow. Yeah, with Ludlow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, Candace looks as good as like she has within the last five years. Like, I don't see why she would need to retire. Obviously she has other things in her life to focus on, but, um, has there been any more indication of her, like potentially treating this as her last season or. So I've asked, you know, like, this is something I, you just have to keep checking in on. I mean, we saw Sue announce her officially announce her retirement mid season. When I talked to Candace at the beginning of the year, she referenced Lisa Leslie, you know, announcing her retirement in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think anything's off the table for Candace. I think Candace comes across and appears to be a very self-aware individual. I think that those closest to her know what's up. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to the media and answering these questions, I think she continues to say, or I don't think, I know she continues to say to us, at least to me, that the deciding, the, the decision for her will be based on if she enjoys waking up and training anymore, when she wakes up in the off season and determines, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not looking forward to practice. I'm not looking forward to my, you know, putting in the work to grow my game. Mm -hmm. I I'm going to know that I'm done. Then I think when it comes specifically to the sky and her contract being up here, something that would be interesting is, you know, hypothetically, if, if they do go back to back, And then do they try for a third, you know, like these are things that players like a player like Candace Parker, I could see being very, very enticed by, but also a lot goes into that. Can they resign Sloot? Like is Sloot down to resign is Mm -hmm. all of these different things. So I think at this stage right now that, you know, I know that comment to Kristen, which got reshared recently. And I was like, wait, is this a new clip or (laughs) when she said this originally? Because it does. Like if you cut it off Mm -hmm. right at that point, there's a certain point. It kind of sounds like she's saying I'm going to retire at the end of the year. But then, you know, she goes into her the same thing she's been saying to everyone. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When I no longer enjoy training, I'm going to know that's the end. And so that's not that's not a committal statement by any means. I don't think (laughs) that. I, I think maybe the people closest to her know, but yeah. I don't know that she's, she's made some decision in her mind and is just waiting on the right time to tell us all. Yeah. I did just get a Candace's muscle milk package in the mail today. So I'm excited to see how that helps my personal, you know, training regimen. <laughs> uh, I just thought it was interesting that like were Candace considering retiring, it would have been nice for her to be like an all-star captain in her home city, you know, for the final season, which is obviously an opportunity that is not going to happen considering Sylvia Fowles and Sue Bird have those designations, but right. not to say that she needs that by any means. I just thought it would have been cool if this were her last season, but I mean, it honestly, to your point, it's really hard to imagine her retiring after this year, the way she's playing, mm-hmm. like, you know, when, when you consider Sue Bird, it, it she said too, it, she's not playing at the same level. She's, she's used to playing. So it makes sense. It's hard to say goodbye to a player like that, but it makes sense. Same with Sylvia Fowles. 
she's she's dealt with injury this year mm-hmm. the last few years it, you know it makes sense it, it's kind of mentally everyone's like okay we know this is coming but looking at a player like Candace she's still playing at a really high level sure she's in her 15th year so you, in your mind you're thinking okay she's closer to the end of her career than the beginning but it's also very easy to see she could play a couple more years exactly yeah so especially with all of the the talent Chicago has to like support her if she chooses to be like in a slightly lesser role too. Yeah. So I think that's more, you know, something to watch is how Wade constructs the roster next, you know, after this year mm-hmm. and, and what happens there. I actually recently asked him about Courtney Vandersloot being a free agent at the end mm-hmm. of the year. And he was like, Annie, we're trying to win a championship right now. Like who, who asked that in the middle of the season? I'm like, <laughs> Uh, every basketball reporter ever (laughs) I know I was like well Sue just announced she's retiring so yeah what are your thoughts on on you know what that means for Courtney at the end of this Mm -hmm. year and and he was like I have (laughs) thoughts trying to get slew to finals MVP in Chicago here (laughs) (laughs) no he's like like well you are the GM and the coach so if you if there was a separate GM I could just ask the GM this like I'm asking you this as the GM not the coach but, but Hey, you know, you're, you're in coach mode right now. So, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of it depends on how, yeah, how the team is constructed next year, mm-hmm. you know, what endeavors Candace has planned that we have no idea about right now. Right. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm sure are going to be revealed that will make, that will make whatever decision she makes, make sense at the time. Yeah, Candace obviously had a, a nice return to Los Angeles last week where uh, she put up her third career triple-double, I believe, first to have multiple or, I don't know, at a certain age. There's like all these triple-double stats that are coming through the pipeline these days, and I can't keep track with her and Sabrina just like one-upping each other. So this is the first time she's played in LA. I know she came last year, but they weren't yeah. in uh, Staples or Crypto.com at the time. I don't know. Did she have like an extra joy to her? Like, was there anything very Candace about that day, or was it just another like run-of-the-mill day in the office? It honestly seemed like just another run of the day. Um, yeah, wait, run of the mill day. There we go. Yeah. Run of the day mill. I was like, run of the day mill. That doesn't make sense. It seemed like another run of the mill day mm-hmm. at the office during shoot around. I know she, you know, she shared something on her social channels just about it being weird the first time being back. So when I saw her after shoot around. I took it to mean just like the name of the building was different. <laughs> Oh, did you? I see. Yeah. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, oh, it, it really is weird, mm-hmm. you know, weird for her to be back. So when I talked to her after shoot around, you know, she talked about having a ton, obviously a ton of friends and family that were going to be there. She did say going into the locker room was really weird. Walking past the home locker room was mm-hmm. really weird. Um, and just, you know, talked about some traditions she has when she is back in town, which is mostly just places that she likes to eat, et cetera. But the thing that stood out to me when it came game time was just, it seemed like she was having fun on, on the court during pregame, which is not to say she doesn't always have fun on the court during pregame. But uh, I, I said this on another podcast today, but Candace is often sharing about Jay-Z. I think people who follow Candace know how, how big of a Jay-Z fan she is. And I just noticed that the DJ was playing a lot of Jay-Z during warmups and great DJ. I said this as well. Like whoever the DJ is in LA, he's DJ. He's Molsky. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. Oh my God. He's so good. The way he connects with fans, like 
he's emceeing and talking to the fan like hey yeah who are you texting on your phone and you're like this is like so personal but anyway so he was playing a lot of jay-z and she was singing she was rapping along she was she seemed yeah just light-hearted um in a in a fun headspace and the second thing that stood out to me was the entire team the way they started the game the way they played that game they were very much seemed at ease seemed to be enjoying themselves and it, it just it almost was like a subtle triple double it was like everyone was playing really well and mm-hmm. then you glance at the stat line and you're like okay she's close mm-hmm. but it's still really early you know and then by the third quarter she does it and it wasn't surprising in the slightest I sometimes wonder if she gets in these moments where she, the stage is set for her to make history and she's like yep I'm gonna do it mm-hmm. you know I, I'm sure she would say no if you ever asked her that but I mean, she just, she does not back down from a big stage moment. I think she's, she's incredible in big stage moments, obviously. And, and that was a, yeah, a moment. If there was any moment to make history, it was in your return to your, your old, uh, your old stomping grounds. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, like what you mentioned earlier about if Chicago does manage to repeat this year, like her not coming back just seems unreasonable because of the type of legacy you could create for her were they, you know, to go for a third title in a row, but that's obviously a long ways away. Uh, before I let you go, I, I am just curious, you know, we've got a, a real interesting set of contenders atop the league this year, and they all seem to have their own strengths and weaknesses against one another. Uh, who, who do you think would be the toughest opponent for the sky in the playoffs? Should it get to that point? I was asked this earlier and I'm going to yeah say the same thing. I think it's the Connecticut sun. I think this, the aces, are going to be tough in the playoffs. I think Mm -hmm. the Aces are a championship contending team. I think what's going to be interesting is can they sustain this dominant five player output that they have, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're already kind of seeing, we saw in the last two games, um, just a, a, maybe a little bit of a burnout factor tonight. They're playing without Chelsea gray. Right. So they played without Jeff young and still won those games. So they've proven they can, they can do it without their starting five intact. But I think that what stood out to me in the, in the sky's comeback game is, is just how human that starting five can be made to look. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's that ACEs team has looked just otherworldly at times, right? Like right. they looked yeah. just dominant, explosive. Asia Wilson is is just, you know, unreal she, sometimes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like she deserves a um, you know, a, a movie. You know, yeah. the games just start in in uh oh my god, why am I blanking on the name of the movie? Uh Space Jam? Yes, yeah. like Oh, and Asia Wilson-led Space Jam is something I would absolutely watch. Right? Like, oh my gosh. So I I think that I don't say this, you know, to say that they are not a championship contending team. They are. But the depth factor is a question mark for sure when you're thinking into the future and into them having to beat the sky in a series. Mm-hmm. Um, and having, you know, to be the sun in a series, I think the sun are a little bit more human than the sky. You know, I think the sky 
have the depth in the front court and the back court. I think the Sun have a very talent or very deep um, front court. Right. I think their back court is where, you know, the sky have them beat. Depth is an asset in this league, especially when you have 11 player rosters. If all 11 players can contribute for you, that's a good, uh, that's a good. It's a good thing to have. Yeah. 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 I just keep thinking about last year's playoff series between the sky and the sun. And to me, the sky have gotten even more versatile since then. Whereas right. the sun, I'm not sure that they have, like they do have the ability to play all of their front court players together now, which was something that they weren't trying last year against Chicago wow. in the playoffs. Cause you know, AT had just come back and like, there just wasn't enough time to roll them all together without like any practice. But yeah, that, that's, yeah, and like the Connecticut sun too, losing Brianne January, like Brianne January was, a huge defensive asset last year. I mean, mm-hmm. offensively too, but when I think back to that series, Brian January was just relentless defensively. And so there have been little changes to the sun that I think have made a big difference. And I think that AT being back the entire year, you know, what that does for the team at the end of the year is, is going to be impactful. But again, I think that, like you said, the sky have gotten more versatile and they already mm-hmm. showed what a, what a challenging matchup they were in that series. Right. And like the toughest game, I don't even think the toughest game was the sky's loss. I think the toughest game for the sky was their overtime win. I think they're right. Loss, the game one. Yeah. In. I think they were maybe a little exhausted. They just, they didn't show up to win that game necessarily, mm-hmm. but so I think that the toughest game was, yeah, game one that and, and this guy battled it out, you know, got it out an overtime win. And then games three and four, they were like, okay, we're, we're doing this. Yeah. And that's another thing to the point you made about Kalia earlier is like Kalia may not be putting up the stats she put up in the playoffs last year, but she put up the stats she put up in the playoffs last year, in my opinion because she was doing what her team needed her to do at that right. time. Right. And right now the team is playing team basketball. Everyone's involved. Everyone's getting their touches. Everyone's getting their numbers up. They don't need her right now to put up 18 points per game. You know, they're, and, and she knows that like she, she could if, if they needed her, but I think, you know, she's not, she's not, um, needing to do that necessarily right now. Yeah. I think my fantasy team needs Cleo copper more than the Chicago sky team for her to <laughs> score right now, but that's a different problem altogether. <laughs> a different problem altogether. That's so funny. Uh, but thank you so much, Annie, for coming on. And is there anything that you wanted to plug as long as I have you here? You know what? Just subscribe to the sun times. I'm really proud to be working for a newspaper. That's you know, investing in our coverage of, of the WNBA and, and the sky and, I think we have a lot of great stuff coming up, you know, especially with all-star being around the corner, we're going to be traveling to all the away games, the remainder of the season. So if you're, if you're into the Chicago sky, definitely, definitely give us a subs, you know, hit that subscribe button. We'd yeah. appreciate it. I'd appreciate it. And um, I promise I won't let you down with the coverage. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I believe it. Uh, that's so cool that you're traveling for the rest of the season. So look forward yeah, to I'm reading. excited for that. I think it's deserved and it's, you know, we cover the men's teams this way. I think everything that we do covering women's sports should, 
should should be done in a similar or better way. You know, equity, equity is the important thing. That doesn't always mean that, sorry, now I'm going to go on a tangent, but, you know, equitable coverage may not amount to like the same this is that, but it's the same investment. And so when you're talking about something like travel, I might not go on the road and do the same exact, cover the team the same exact way as our, our Bulls beat writer covers the mm-hmm. Bulls. But being on the road is something that just is a tangible investment and makes a huge difference in the way you're able to equitably cover a team. So I'm really excited about it. I can't think of a better place to end. So thank you so much, Annie. Yeah, thank you for having me.